Hey everyone, uh, just before we start the pre-roll here, uh, I wanted to say something that I've been wanting to say for a while to everybody. Uh, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the support that you guys have given the show. Um, you're going to hear in the pre-roll that we're doing another giveaway here soon. I hope that each and every one of you guys that support the podcast, whether it be on Facebook, Instagram, or downloading the podcast and, and, and giving me feedback and all this stuff, um, I'm very thankful for you guys. You guys are great, and you guys have uh, made this a really, really awesome time to be a podcast guy, and uh, I'm very thankful. If you guys ever have any suggestions in terms of who you would like to see on the show or anything like that, feel free to message us on all of our social media. But before we get started today, I just wanted to give you guys a big message of thankfulness. So thank you guys. I appreciate y'all. You guys are the best. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today's show is the best. If you want to support the show the best way that you can, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You are not going to want to miss out on what we have coming in the soon months. Uh, Let me just tell you, there's going to be a lot of free stuff involved. It's going to be free entry and it's going to be awesome. If you know or have been around the podcast for any length of time, Uh, We do giveaways pretty often, and I can tell you that this upcoming giveaway is going to be our biggest giveaway yet. All that being said, Supergrip ATV Tires are the primary sponsor of the show, and they're the most dependable tires in the ATV industry. The Supergrip ATV Tire is designed to get you through the most extreme terrains. If you're looking for the ultimate control, whether on-road or off-road, the Supergrip ATV tire is the way to go. I run these tires on my car, uh, plan on doing some racing this year. Uh, They track really well, meaning they drive straight. I can steer very well with them. Their road manners are nice. Their trail manners are nice. I currently run them in a uh, standard compound, which is an excellent compound in my opinion. Um, They offer a softer compound, which is the intermediate. I do not have a set of those yet, but from what I have seen, they're very soft, and I'm very excited to tell you guys. um, I've been on the phone with Supergrip this week. They're going to be adding even more rubber into the sidewall just to make sure that their promise and their their name and the information they're putting out is going to be even more uh, foolproof, I guess is the right way to say that. So they're actually doubling production in the coming weeks, and as well as that, they're putting more rubber in those sidewalls to make them truly the toughest tire on the market. So... SupergripATV.com, SupergripATV on Instagram and Facebook. Let them know Racing on the Rocks sent you. They are excellent people to deal with if you're a retailer. If you're not a retailer and you're just looking up, looking to pick up a set of tires, reach out to your favorite tire, de- tire retailer and see what they can get for you. I highly recommend working with all things UTV, but you'll hear about them in just a minute. Dynajet.com and Dynojet.com. Research Inc. is also a sponsor of the show. Um, I see a lot of questions about clutching and things like that. I personally was never a fan of getting into the clutching if you didn't have to. It seemed like one of those areas in which once you got in, once you started making changes, I don't know if it was the clutches that were prone to break, but it was just an error 
just an area where that you don't you don't really want to mess with if you don't have to. Um, all of that being said, and I'm sorry for just breathing on the microphone. I took a had a big lunch, you guys. Uh, but once I got in there, I put on the DinoJet Stage Two Power Kit. And uh, let me tell you, the PowerVision 3 tuner is an awesome tuner to have, but the adjustable system that the DinoJet clutch kits offer, where I can completely customize the clutch setting at my house anytime I need to, based on the tire uh, size that I want to run and the application of where I'm driving. I'm really glad to be able to tell you guys about that because that's a product that makes a huge difference and it's completely customizable and adjustable for the life of the product. DinoJet.com. DinoJet Research on Facebook and Instagram. Our next sponsor is Diddy's Big Block Race Shop. Let me tell you about Diddy's. Diddy's is a uh, shock tuning uh, shop. They're a uh, shock servicing shop. They're a turnkey build shop. They're, you know, if you're working on a full-size buggy or have any full-size related issues, they also work on those. Um, in terms of wiring and things like that. But something from my UTV guys that I'm really excited to bring to you is that Chris, the owner of Diddy's Big Blog, me and him are actually going up to Blue Holler. Um, ooh, I should, maybe shouldn't have said that. Uh, we're going to Blue Holler sometime here in the next short weeks, and we're going to figure out how can we valve the car the best on the stock springs. And then we're going to build out a valve set from there. And then I'm actually talking to our next sponsor, All Things UTV, uh, about how can we build a valve set for their best, the best valve set using just their tenders, and then so on and so forth. So we're going to have a stage setup of valving setups and spring setups where we can say, hey, if you don't want to spend $1,200 on springs, you know, if you want to get your valving done, if you want to get all of these things done, but at a relatively low cost, the best way for you to do that is go with this package here. We're going to go get those packages figured out for you guys, and it's going to be awesome. Racing and trail riding applications will be available. Now, that piggybacks obviously off of all things UTV, excuse me, Diddy's Big Block on Facebook and Instagram. Excellent guys to deal with. AllThingsUTV.com and AllThingsUTV on Facebook and Instagram are also an excellent group of people to work with. The Razor Aid Tender Springs is what in particular uh, Chris and I had talked about using some tender upgrades and even a, a full set. All Things UTV even offers a full spring replacement kit with crossover rings to fill in the blank for you know the next level. So what the all what the Cloud9 kit is, it's a very reasonably priced kit that includes Oh, new uppers, new lowers, crossover rings, and it can convert your single rate spring into a dual rate system. You just have to let them know what year and model vehicle you have. Always paired with the Razor, or I'm sorry, the All Things UTV inner fender liners to keep your ride not only riding great, but feeling good as well. And who is next? Our friends at over at irate4x4.com. So th this is the, one of the newer sponsors. Um, irate 4x4 launched just last May. And if you have any off-road history or anything like that, that you'll remember there is a, uh, I will say there was slash is a, uh, a an off-road forum that used to be very popular. Um, a lot of those guys that have since moved from the old forum are now moving over to irate4x4.com. 
Unlike Facebook, unlike Instagram, it is a place where you can find someone's credentials, essentially. You can go look at their build, look at their posts, and make sure that the person that you're seeking advice from actually knows what they're talking about. And on top of that, it's a great place for you to go and be able to discuss anything you want. A truly uncensored place to, 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 to get answers, to do this and that. You're not going to be filled with the puking ads that you see all over other different forms where everything outside of the text that's written on, on the screen is an ad for this and that. It's simply amazing how a group of people just got up and left one site for another. The old site is no more and irate4x4.com has taken over. They're on the hunt for, uh, excuse me, uh, irate 4x4 is an off-road community full of people with decades of off-road experience and knowledge to share. It can be a rough place for some, so they highly recommend coming in with a thick layer of skin and open mind to those advice. If you're doing something silly, you're going to get told you're silly, but I can promise you that there's no better place to find information for your full-size build, your after, you know, completely custom rock bouncer build, and even they have a uh, tow, towing vehicle section. Excuse me, I was going to say tow pigs, but uh, you know the, the towing vehicles and even the side by side. So everyone is included over at irate4x4.com. Really glad to have those guys on board. Last but not least is Infinite Off Road. Infinite Off Road is the oldest sponsor of the show and owned by a really great friend of mine, Mike Noggle. Uh, super dude, everything from light bars, light pods, whips, real wheel rings, and everything in between, you can count on it and you can find it at infiniteoffroad.com, Infinite Off Road on Facebook and Instagram. And they love the podcast so much that they give all listeners of the show 10% off with code word ROCKS, R O C K S. 10% off your entire order of light bars, light pods. Oh, did I mention that they're all covered by a 25-year you-break-it-they-fix-it warranty? No questions asked. Pretty amazing. Saw a car that was in a collision, broke the light bar, covered by warranty. Infiniteoffroad.com. Okay, today's show is uh, a cool one. I'm a big fan of this guy uh, for a long time. He is a fabricator of the highest quality, and he not only does uh, full-size, he does moon buggy, he does UTV fabrication, and he does RC fabrication. Um, quite possibly one of the most gifted artists with metal in the nation. Without further ado, Kyle Listel. Get a drink and gather around. Let's talk drivers. Let's talk rigs. Let's talk skill. You've got the best of the best in the off-road racing world. Have a seat at the table with us, and let's talk about racing on the rocks. So it's a tiny version of me and a big version of you. So uh, we are live. Uh, we're live on the Racing on the Rocks YouTube, Racing on the Rocks Facebook, and my own personal page too. Um, for those listening, you're not going to notice anything. But for those on the live stream, you'll see that uh, I just have uh, a nice profile picture of Kyle up. Um, we had a little bit of connection issues. So Kyle's on the phone uh, with us today, but we're going to be having everything on the live stream uh, pulled up here. So first things first, uh, Kyle Listel, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing really good. Uh, been, been, been really busy and, uh, just, uh, 
Doing really good, actually. Life's good. Having fun. Yeah, yeah. So I, I follow you, have followed you on Instagram for a really long oh, time. There you go. There we go. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Um, so I followed you on Instagram uh, for a really long time. And, and once the podcast started gaining traction on Facebook, um, I kind of found you have a UC fab like RC group. And I, all of a sudden I made my way to, to the man behind the camera. So uh, I'm so excited. I've been a huge fan of your work um, for a really long time. I've noticed it or I noticed it first in the RC world and then learned that you're the man behind a lot of this, uh, a lot of this moon buggy stuff and a lot of the laser nut stuff, which is super cool to see. So uh, I'm ready to get into it, man. How, uh, how are you doing? How has the quarantine been for you? Uh, you seem to be doing a lot of work out of your garage. Is that your normal setup? Um, yeah, yeah, this is my setup. I work right here out of my garage. Um, most of the time I do, uh, uh, my razor cages and the Jesse Haynes moon buggies in here, all the Jesse Haynes portal seas and everything. And, uh, as far as quarantine goes, uh, things have been going good. Thankfully, uh, been blessed as far as that goes. Um, been probably busier than ever. Uh, my wife's been, uh, the same, very busy. Uh, so we've been blessed as far as that goes. And I work from home and her work, uh, she is able to also work from home. So, yeah. So I have been work from home, uh, since March and I have a really strong feeling that we're not going to go back until January. And, uh, I'll tell you, man, going from like the expectation of being in the office and, seeing people and doing all this stuff every single day to now I just hang out with my six year old all day, every day, man, it right. is, it is a change. <laughs> it's been a huge change. Man. Yeah. I bet. I bet. I bet. That's, that's good though. I mean, I, I, I'm enjoying it. I've get, you know, I get to see my wife way more than I, that I used to. And so there, there is a good part of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been nice to spend more time with her and, it's also nice to have those little midday interruptions of like, she's playing Roblox right now. And, and as a, so I write code for a living and uh, we were talking earlier about listening to podcasts while we work and stuff, but she'll come interrupt me and she's like learning how to play video games now. And it's, it, that was a right. huge part of my childhood. So it's been really cool to kind of have her interrupt me and, you know, ask questions about games and all this and that. Um, yeah, but good yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, <laughs> But where do you want to start? Do you want to start with full size? Do you want to start with RC? Do you, where, where, side by sides? What do you? Where do you want to start? Uh, well, I mean, it depends on how far you want to go back. Let's go. Uh, let's go to the beginning, man. All right. Well, let's start where I mean, we can start all the way back when I was seventeen. Let's do I it. got my first uh, truck, you know, uh, which was a '88 Ford Ranger. I loved that thing back then. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think about it now and. Yeah. Uh, 88 Ford Ranger, I cut the fenders up and bumpers and stuff, and it had like a Rancho lift on it and 31-inch BFGs and, you know, and a rear locker. And uh, I love that thing. I willed it for a long time, and uh, all my buddies and my brother and that were all into Toyotas, you know, and they're, oh, you got to get rid of that Ford, get Toyota, you know. So eventually I fell into that and uh, got me a 83 Toyota pickup. Okay. And, uh, I had that thing for a long time, 
you know, and I daily drove it for a long time, even when it was locked front and rear with Alcan Springs front and rear and 35s and, you know, got pulled over a whole bunch. Yeah. Uh, back in the day. So, um, so yeah, did a lot of uh, full body Toyota wheeling for years and years. Lots of, lots of, you know, East of Safari every year, the Toyota Land Cruiser Association event down in Moab, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. We did the Rubicon. Uh, my older brother was uh, good friends with Marlin, you know, from Marlin Crawler, does the Toyota transfer cases. And yeah. That. So we got to go do a Toyota Land Cruiser event with him. Uh, and that was, that was really cool. I was 18, you know, so that was 22 years ago. And now I feel really old. Um, (laughs) it's not that long um, man time time just so i'm i'm 25 and like time is starting to slip for me i'm I'm really starting to understand you know kind of you know as you get older like the time starts going faster dude i remember uh, i'm 25 oh okay yeah you're still you're loving it yeah your 30s man i'll tell you what (laughs) every minute of your 30s i will i will for sure for sure so you've got the Ranger. You guys really started getting into it. What was the next step for you? You know, when this became—I mean, was this your job? Were you doing production and things like that right out of the gate? Um, no, no. Back when I was doing the Toyota wheeling and that, um, I had you know plenty of young kid jobs and and that, and I I spent uh, quite a few years doing maintenance work uh, for uh, Gold's Gym. Oh, cool. Uh, which was interesting, you know, fixing machines and that. Yeah. And, and then uh, I want to say it was 2001. Um, I had my rock crawler, you know, my Toyota. I had turned it into, you know, at one point it was a full XO, left the whole body, XO caged it and made everything bigger. And then after that, I was like, yeah, this thing's too heavy. Mm-hmm. Cut the back end off. Uh, you know, made it a convertible top, built a cage, cool. uh, put it on 38 with a four link in the rear. Um, and that's when it really started getting serious. Um, as far as, you know, the wheeling goes. Yeah. So how did you make the jump from, you know, uh, a fully loaded Toyota truck to these crazy full size moon buggies that are, in in all reality, the most capable cars to ever be on four wheels in terms of the off-road spectrum. Right, right. Well, X all the way back in from 2001 through 2005, uh, I was a spotter in uh, the UROP series mm-hmm. uh, for one of the owners of Factory Tubular Motorsports. That was the first off-road shop I worked at. That's pretty cool. Uh, I went straight from doing stuff at the gym to work in there and spent, you know, a few years there. Uh, loved that, you know, got to know some really cool guys that I still know today. Um, and then back then I built me, uh, well, as a company, we were building, uh, two seat rock crawlers, um, on, uh, Unimog portals. Um, old school stuff and you know we broke those portals every time we went out what was the name of the company what's that what was the name of the company again uh factory tubular motorsports um i mean that that was all like i said from 01 to 05 i know there's a few pics floating around of us 
back in the day, but that was all pre-internet stuff. Yeah. You know, pre, okay. You know, I've there got was definitely no Facebook or anything. Yeah. Uh, not pre-internet, but you know what I mean? Things yeah. were just early internet. <laughs> yeah. Early internet. So, uh, anyway, I went, we were building rock crawlers there and then the moon buggy started getting big. Um, tiny had come out. Um, John Bundurant was driving that one and he was just obliterating the whole field. And so we thought, well, we need to build a moon buggy and the Campbells had started building a moon buggy as well. And the boss decided he wanted one very similar to that. So that's kind of what we did except for there's, yeah, there's Matt. That's the old Unimog car right there. I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we went from that to uh, a moon buggy that we built that had a five Oh Cobra motor in the back. So, Really heavy compared to, you know, big old iron block and everything. Um, and it, it did okay, but it did not compete with the rest of the moon buggies that were running four cylinders mm-hmm. and, and Volkswagen air-cooled motors and stuff back then. And so it was okay. It did okay, and it ended up getting sold to Masa Racing in Japan. Yeah. Um, and he's just recently cut the back end off and put a four-cylinder in it. So... Wow, um, that's a Campbell one. Ours looked really similar to that. Yeah. Uh, we bought the same axles as that from Curry and everything. You know, that was kind of what they were, what he was after. Mm-hmm. Ours was a little longer, you know, a little bit different shape, but but not a whole lot. And so that was where that was my first real introduction into moon buggies was building one like that one there in that picture. But it, uh, but like I said, Campbell had made quite a few at that point, mm-hmm. and. Um, it was a good recipe, uh, but the bosses didn't follow the recipe quite right with the big V8. Let me ask so. you, so is that where the Campbells got their introduction? Is that where they got into the whole fabrication side of things? Um, well, the Campbells were fabricating before that a little bit with just Jeeps and stuff for their buddies. Mm-hmm. And then in 98, when ARCA first had their event in, uh, I think it was Las Cruces, Shannon was in a more of a Jeep type buggy, right? You mm-hmm. know, Leaf Springs and that. And they've always been in it. But yeah, I mean, when the moon buggies came out and they built these moon buggies, they did a really good job. And, you know, uh, of course, there was a few of them. Uh, Mitch Guthrie was running one. And then Cody ended up buying that from Mitch Guthrie. Yeah. So, yeah, so- they're really cool. Um, you know, and then, you know, the Campbells, they've been icons in the industry since. <laughs> since the beginning i mean i first heard of them back in 98 yeah you know at that very first rock crawl so okay so we go from from this style because i mean i don't know you know obviously you're saying that, that the campbells kind of came up with this this is this to me this picture we're showing on screen which is the one that's been up for a few seconds here um it is it is what the moon buggy like you say moon buggy and this is the mental image you have where right. where did this where did this come up from? Because obviously, you know, you've now partnered with uh, Jesse Haynes, and you know it's a very similar style. But like when I look at this, I see okay, there's just enough cage here to protect the person and and really have the mounts that are necessary, and there's nothing else. But like yeah. like is is was that the idea behind these things? Because to me, this looks like a geometric nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, the very first ones that came out was uh, built by uh, John Nelson from Nelson Racing, mm-hmm. and he built one for John Bundaren, uh, which they called Tiny. Okay. And 
the what your the main look that these have that the GHF ones don't have is these are asymmetrical. Yes. Where Jesse's moon buggies are symmetrical, okay. um, which I highly prefer yes. myself. I w- like aesthetically, um, I, I mean, just from the aesthetic side, um, I would agree with you. And this is what I'm showing on screen now. And again, there's a Kyle is watching the live feed as it happens because we had a little bit of, again, connection issues. So this was the original tiny moon buggy uh, that I've got on here. And I hope you can see it here in just the next few seconds. Um, it seems symmetrical, but still very much of the same thing. It looks like the whole premise of these things when I look at them is like the whole like steer underneath itself, that whole idea. It just seems like they're perfectly designed for that mentality. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, for all out rock crawling competitions, um, you know, unless something drastic changes, I mean, this is, I mean, that's the recipe for building a top, top notch rock crawler. And the only, the thing is that the, all the moon buggies nowadays have too that these didn't was portals. Yes. These, you yes. know, these are running uh, what what a lot of us nowadays call drag axles. Is it um, because they drag everywhere? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yep. Okay. All right. See, it doesn't <laughs> so, doesn't I'm, I'm it doesn't take a genius. <laughs> I'm getting there. Yeah. Right. right yeah. <laughs> so drag axles is a, a term you'll hear on the comp scene for sure if okay. you're not running portals. Okay. Um. But yeah, I mean, after this, John Nelson built a rig for himself that looked a lot different. Mm-hmm. And if you remember Cody's second moon buggy that he had, um, call it was based off of John Nelson's Scrapper car. Okay, let me look that up. Is, and if you can look up Scrapper, uh, Tracy Jordan had one. Um, there was, you know, there was a few of them out there. And if I remember right, the Geyser Brothers. If it was, if I'm remember correctly are the ones who built Cody's mm-hmm. based off of their platform. Yeah, here they are. Um, I think so. Yeah, I've got one pulled up. Uh, it's It seems so like there's chassis from like end to end, and that seems very atypical. Right, like down on the lower frame rails? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a way, that is one of the definite things that are a little different with, with Jesse's, and a lot of that comes down to Jesse. I mean, and I know the other guys did this as well, but you know, when they're thinking about building these cars, it's all about visibility, right? You sure. want to be able to see everything and not have to rely on the spotter so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you take away some of those frame rails and all that, it keeps it really wide open. And even more so, like say my car is uh, – uh, got a three link in the front with the, the track bar mm-hmm. and it blocks vision. And so Jesse's brand new car has a four link in the front, but it it's even more wide open for visibility. Like the only thing out in front of his feet on uh, in front of him are his feet. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, now and I'm just oh, looking and I'm just looking like you're, you know, you guys go so far even like, and there's the picture from uh, July of this year like your panels are transparent. Is that, is is that like a common thing? Cause you know, I know, I mean, I would think, you know, you want the most visibility to run nothing, but this is, is having something there, you know, what's the benefit of transparent panels versus no panels, I guess is what I'm asking. Um, some series, and I, I, I don't know all the rules for, for we rock, but Mm -hmm. you know, most series will require some sort of door panel, um, to keep objects from coming in. 
hitting the driver, kind of like the window net idea. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I hadn't so, thought about that. Um, a lot of them will do that. You know, it's just in. I think it's more of a safety thing um, than anything. Yeah. Uh, I have those panels that I made that have that perforated uh, black wrap on them, mm-hmm. and those I'll run uh, here and there. But like, if I go and compete my car, they'll they'll come off, and I'll put clear ones on. Okay. So I can see really well. These will be kind of like my playing around trail panels. Okay. Know? So you, I will kind of roll you back because I've interrupted you here a couple of times. Um, no you worries. know, you have uh, basically the older model, which, you know, asymmetrical, a little bit more tubing in there. And then, you know, you have the, the car that you have right now. Every iteration, you know, what is improving or what are you guys improving as you move on these chassis? Um, obviously, you know, suspension, you know, you mentioned the three link versus four link, but is it, is it weight that you guys are moving around or, or as you iterate over these chassis, what's getting better? Um, yeah, I mean, moving weight around is definitely big. Um, you know, and Jesse, Jesse Haynes is really good at that. Um, if you notice on like his brand new car, uh, he's doing so- he did something there that I plan on doing online where he moved the fuel cell on the rear axle. Um, and that just allows it to not be on the chassis, which allowed him to put a radiator behind his seat instead of the fuel cell. Uh, you know, and then it just keeps everything packaged tighter, better visibility. Um, but yeah, Jesse's, he's pretty amazing at how he, he goes through and, and thinks about every single aspect of where the weight is on the car and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, as far as improvements go, um, I think suspension geometry has been tweaked a little bit here and there from the old moon buggies to these new ones. Um, as far as like roll center and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think mainly, you know, visibility has been really high on the, the forefront. Um, and then, yeah, like you just said, just like packaging and where you're throwing your weight on the car is, is really big. So how do you fit into this equation here? Because obviously, you know, you're doing, you're doing some work for these guys and, and you're doing a ton of fabrication, which, you know, I, I think I mentioned it in the description for the video. Uh, you're probably one of the most gifted fabricators uh, just in terms of meticulous detail and I mean, no stone unturned, no, you know, nothing is left to, to question and nothing is left, you know, to be a, a B, a, you know, if we're going to, you know, the grading scale, there are no B plus parts. There are no A minus parts. <laughs> there, every, uh, everything is just A plus quality. I really appreciate that. And I do strive for that for sure. And I would have to say, a lot of that has to do with the people I surround myself with as well. Um, you know, uh, and, and taking in everything when I, uh, when I go to work at Jesse's house, you know, he's had me come out there a few times and, and do work with him. And I'm constantly like writing down everything he's doing in my head, you know, and learning more cause I'll never stop learning. I don't know anything near all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, Every day I want to learn new and, um, but yeah, like, like I said, I think it has to do with people I'm around, um, being with laser nut, it allows me, uh, access to 
you know, the greatest machinery you can have for cutting and bending metal. Yeah. Um, you know, so that is, you know, a big help on being meticulous is I've got access to these amazing laser cutters over at LaserNut, um, which has, you know, obviously been really huge mm-hmm. uh, for for me and UC Fab. Um, and then in the RC side, um, I've got a really good friend, and he goes by uh, J-Rad. His name's Jared. Okay. Um, but he goes by J-Rad, and he uh, built himself a little tube chassis when mm-hmm. I first got into doing RCs, and he's the same exact way I am as far as meticulous and that. And so we really were good at bouncing ideas off each other. And uh, so when I first built my first RC, you know, but it just goes back to, you know, I kind of feel like I've surrounded myself with, with other talented people and I do what I can to harness some of that and, you know, learn from it and apply it to what I do every day. And, a saying, uh, and this is kind of funny. My dad told me this when I was really young, and before I, long before it was time for me to get a job, he used to tell me that if you don't have time to do it right the first time, when will you have time to do it again? That's fact. I, that's something. And, that's something that everyone should learn. Stuck with me all my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah I so. like that. I like that. I, uh, I've it's to, to, you know, com- completely reduce it down to the everyday life. I have conversations just yesterday. I sat down with my six to be seven year old and we were talking uh, about cleaning her room. And I was just like, she went up there and I, she was trying to get something from me. Some, I think she wanted like five bucks or so. I don't remember what she was trying to get from me. And, uh, she ran upstairs, cleaned her room. And it took her five minutes and she came back downstairs and she, you know, obviously did a horrible job. She didn't fold anything. And like, you know, I just, I, I'm not, I don't ask very much. I just want, you know, I, I try and teach her the lesson of do it right the first time because yeah. um, I can't tell you, you know, and maybe it's just because I don't come from an automotive background at all. Everything that I have known and do know and have learned over the years has come from me put doing something and maybe trying to cut a corner or maybe trying to do it, you know, without the full knowledge and having to go back and do it three or four times. And yeah. I mean, especially in any, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll talk about UTVs here. Anything that can go fast, you should not cut corners. Anything that's going <laughs> to, anything that's going to save your life, any kind of, you know, Hey, I'm building a cage or I'm building, putting my harnesses in, you know, we'll go to the very simplest level. I'm putting harnesses in my car. Uh, you know, you need to do a little bit of research to make sure that the way you put the belt through the clip, I mean, is correct because you put it through the wrong way when you hit the brakes really hard and you expect your harnesses to catch and they just completely come through the clip. You know, it's little details like that, that, uh, you know, that's a, that's an extreme case, but you know, it's little stuff like that. And, and, and I don't know if there's ever a, a, a field, in which doing something the wrong way could be really bad. I would say that off-road racing especially is one of those. And I mean, you, the big debate here in the South and especially with like UTV guys is cages. Cause you know, you, you make production or you're not, they're not necessarily production, but you make cages uh, for the UTV side. And yeah. uh, you know, probably just as good as anybody else that the cages that come on these cars right out of the gate are just junk. I mean, Maybe maybe a small you know soft rollover, but 
you know, when you're building cages, you know, you understand the severity of a, what you're building and b the necessity for it as well. Uh, so I, you know, I don't know. I feel like you're a, you're an excellent testament to, uh, you know, building things right the first time and taking the time to do it right out of the gate correctly. Well, I appreciate that. And I definitely, you know, strive for that, uh, every day when I work. So, yeah. Well, before, Uh, before we jump around here too much, I want to get back to the, to the moon buggy because, uh, there's one particular thing that you've made for the moon buggy that really stands out to me and it is the portals. So you mentioned, you know, having the drag axles, which, which look like, uh, old school Toyota axles that they had under these things. And, uh, you know, obviously the portal is makes a huge difference in performance and things like that. But I spoke to you last Friday, you know, kind of in preparation for the interview and I was, you know, going through and there's a moon buggy, you know, I think it's a, we rock event coming to Tennessee in September. And, I was watching, there's some guys here at, uh, that have been practicing at, an, at our local park, Adventure Off-Road Park. And I'm like, man, this is so cool. They can, you know, they're so capable. And it looks like, you know, there's not enough horsepower to really just trash all the parts and everything. Um, and I was like, hey, you know, what's one of these things cost to get built? And the first number you shot me back was, you know, I think it was just for a set of portals or if it was, I don't remember if it was for the portals or for the axles. And I was just like, hold up. <laughs> I underestimated <laughs> vastly, but tell me about the portals and how do you even go through the process of making that and, and, and getting that all set up? And, and are you making these axle housings too? Like, tell me everything well, about them. Okay. Well, as far as the axle the portals go, the only part I'm really making is the, the C, the, the yes. knuckle, you know, the, the actual portal box and, and, and everything, that's all, you know, obviously that's all, the whole thing's all Jesse Haynes fabrication stuff, but I don't do anything with the portal boxes or anything with the steering or anything. Um, he's just got me doing the portal C's, um, and the housings, there's a couple on the market. Um, you can get a couple of generally as far as all the ones that are getting built, basically are all running the trail gear, uh, Toyota housing. Okay. Um, uh, like they're fabricated diamond housing. Um, so Jesse has spent years working on these these portals. They're the portal box themselves are off of a, a Hummer, you know, like a, a military Hummer. Yeah. Um, so they're they're beefy, and they come in either uh, ten thousand or twelve thousand pound models, Holy you know, different crap. bearings and gears or whatever. Yeah. Um, but he has, he's figured out what needs to be done. He tears them down completely. They machine some stuff, modify a few things, and then, you know, bolt some uh, fabricated parts on that uh, he has laser nut cut because he's all, you know, we're all, we use laser nut for all our cutting. Um, but yeah, so basically he took the, the Hummer portal and got it all figured out as to how to make it fit and then uh he worked with multiple companies that helped you know uh design the individual parts and pieces for the portal c the part that i weld Mm -hmm. um and then uh he got those all figured out and they used to be a lot more welding on them and as time has gone by it's made some design changes and uh, laser nuts now doing bending instead of us having to weld mm-hmm. on some of the parts. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, in the beginning, it seemed like most of the guys were doing a Ford nine inch 
uh, yeah. differential. And those are obviously great, but they're a little bigger, obviously, as far as ground clearance goes, and they're triple the price. Yeah. Um, so when people realize that, wow, these portals are really saving the rest of the drivetrain, you know, we should try smaller diffs. And so Jesse put the Toyota housings on Cody's moon buggy. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, that was one of the first ones that I know of that had them. And obviously he's done extremely well, uh, with those Toyota diffs. And, yeah. you know, there's even one, one guy in the scene that's, uh, done the exact same thing, but use samurai discs. So another inch smaller. Wow. Um, and you know, his car isn't finished yet, but it's really close and you know, we'll see, you know, who knows the game keeps changing. Um, but yeah, so it it just really cuts down on any of the stress on the rest of your drivetrain, uh, with the portal boxes. That's pretty. Now are are you seeing, I mean, is there, it, where's the point of failure for these cars? Is, is there one? Um, man, it just depends on what parts you put on them. Sure. Um, so like me trying to save a little bit of money, I'm going to run some of the stock CDs, you know, okay. the same CDs that were on the Hummer that have been used and abused and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you have to drive knowing that it could possibly break because you're using a stock CD. Sure. The really the good option is to get uh, RCD chromoly ones mm-hmm. and they're uh, they're you know more money than I want to spend right now sure I so. get it yeah shout out to those guys <laughs> those guys I'm, I'm constantly amazed because it seems like every single application that comes up in conversation RCV has an option for which I gotta yeah, give it, I gotta absolutely. give to them like just the fact that they offer so many different things is impressive and very rarely you know, I'm not seeing an RCV break probably, you know, ever. The guys that are breaking them, like in bouncers and things like that, woo, yeah. buddy, you got to be putting it to the ground, man. So, yeah, 1500 horsepower. Yeah, dude. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't even, I don't know. I personally have never seen one break. So, you know, right. Congrats, I haven't congratulations. seen any of the moon buggies break the RV rcd shafts but you know i've seen a couple of the stock ones break and, and you just have to know if you're going to run the stock ones that, it seems like most of the guys, what they're doing is oversteering the stock ones because these axles yeah. will turn 45 degrees. Dude, that's bonkers. Right, isn't that is, it? I mean, it, yeah. Spider Tracks has got one that'll turn 50, but I mean, that's 45. I, I mean, I turn my axle 45, you know, all the way and just like, geez, I feel like I'm going to drive sideways. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, <laughs> so let me let me ask you because because you know the moon buggies are, are are awesome, but I you know I don't want to take too much of your time tonight because we're already half hour in. Um, no worries. Driving a moon buggy and the competitions is it? I mean, is there anything else like it? Because it seems like its own super deep niche. You know, it, you have a very tight small group of people that, that do this highest level of rock crawling. Does it translate? I mean, if, if someone is a jeeper or someone is a full size guy that just trail rides, could they jump in a, you know, get, you know, give them a magic wand. Could they jump in a moon buggy and have good success in their driving capabilities? Is it similar to anything? Um, you know, and honestly, to be honest, I have yet to compete in a moon buggy. I have driven plenty. And so I do have experience on how they drive and how, you know, to answer your question, um, 
it takes a few minutes to get used to, you know, like I would go from my two seat front engine car and hop in a, in a moon buggy and drive it. And it, it takes you a minute because you're, you're sitting on the front axle almost, you yeah, know? And yeah. so you, you feel like you're in such a different spot on the same obstacle, if that makes sense. Sure. That feeling I think is what I had to get over most, uh, of, being aware of how far the rear axle is away from where I'm sitting. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? That kind of a thing I think is, was the, as far as my experience, I would say that, you know, kind of just where you're oriented in the car. Sure. Makes, you know, the biggest, the biggest difference uh, and, and visibility. I mean, sure. <laughs> I mean, you're going to feel like Superman as far as visibility <laughs> when you hop in a moon buggy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got two more questions for you. The the copper wheels you have obviously are just super stylistic, awesome. Um, to me, they they scream the laser nut like you know feelings. I love it. Um, yeah, yeah. Having such a big wheel is that is that to prevent like the tire folding over when you're crazy off camber? Because you know, typically in most off road scenarios, you want a smaller wheel and more tire. Right, and that. Uh, that just depends on, on your, you know, each individual's, you know, the way you like your car. Um, and this is a conversation I've had with Jesse multiple times because he runs, uh, Maxxis Mm -hmm. and they have a 17 inch wheel where the BFG is on a 20 inch wheel. Yeah. And that's a huge Um, difference for, for those who don't know, that is a, that is a substantial difference in wheel size and a very big difference in the driving experience as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back and forth. Um, I could definitely see where having more sidewall would help in certain situations and having less sidewall in other situations helping, you know, like you said, it's specifically side healing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think that the BFG would fold over a little less, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And Agreed. Having a lot less sidewall. So, and- um, but I still think that, you know, and Jesse proves it all the time, you know, that a 17 inch wheel with a 42 still can be just as good as far as performance goes, just different. You know okay. what I mean? And my last question here, obviously, um, both tires perform well. You know, you mentioned Jesse runs the Maxxis and you run the BFG. Is the BFG just like the go-to? Because when you think of moon buggies, if it doesn't, it's in my opinion, if it doesn't have that, the crawler on there, the, the, you know, the red label, uh, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's like missing the moon buggy brand. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Um, it's hard for me cause you know, I get what you're saying, especially, you know, cause John Bundrant was on BFG yeah. Tracy Jordan was on BFG, John Nelson, you know, there was all yeah. these early guys, you know, were on BFGs. And so I definitely feel the same. I love my BFGs, but I also wouldn't hesitate for a second to run the Trepidor. Um, I think it just comes down to, you know, your opinion, Ford versus Chevy type sure. scenario. Sure. Um, Have you heard anything about the new BFG crawler they're coming out with? No, spoilers. Um, not anything specific. I did, you know, I've heard uh, that, you know, that it's coming. Yeah, um, but I have no idea, uh, honestly. 
I so think I've actually haven't driven on my 42s yet. Um, but I, I had a set of 40 inch BFTs, uh, on my old buggy and I loved them, but I also, as far as Maxis's go, my favorite tire was the creepy crawler, which yeah. they don't really make anymore. Yeah. How weird, right? That, that's yeah. like, it's, that's a, uh, a classic off-road pattern and just, it just, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. I, I really wish they would bring that creepy crawler back. I'd, I'd run it in a second. I had some 40 inch creepy crawlers on my old buggy. Yeah. At one point too. And I loved them. You know, we'll, and we can, we can kind of bridge this conversation um, before I miss it. This is the KM3 uh, mud terrain from BFG. I think that we'll see this KM3 super siped, really heavy, heavily aggressive tri- sidewall. I think you'll see that bleed over into the crawlers um, just because BFG is like, in my opinion, they're like the, the most conservative group with one they have found this tread pattern that works and even though we're going to get a new tire i i think that they're just going to sipe it more i think they're going to just make it deeper because everyone is going deeper right now um i think we'll yeah. just see those those kind of small adjustments i don't think we'll see anything crazy but i think we'll see something in this ballpark here um but yeah, i agree it's very strange to me that maxis doesn't make the creepy crawler anymore but yet it's a very popular uh, RC tire, the Baja Ray or the rock Ray comes with them. Uh, there's a few companies out there that still make them. It's kind of weird to me that they, you know, I mean, in their license Maxis tires, you know, I I think that maybe the RC companies are trying to bite on, you know, the recognizable, like the branding. Oh, that's an off-road tire. That's a, that's a well-performing off-road tire. It's just like an eye catcher. But I think that it's interesting. They don't do it full size, but, RC Maxxis tires are still very much alive in that con- in that <laughs> style. Right. It's weird. It's weird. Um, but uh, I want to end the show, if you don't mind talking about the RC stuff. Um, I want to yeah. talk about UTVs. Uh, obviously, if you haven't seen it today, um, Polaris hinted that they're going to drop their... Uh, let's see if I can find it here really quick. Um, uh, Polaris Off-Road. They hinted that they're going to drop their four-wheeler, their general, and their, um, oh, what is it? Okay, so we've got a four-wheeler, uh, general-looking thing. Uh, the the other one, what's they have the general and then the more advanced version of the general, which is, uh, I forget the name. Oh, they have of it. like a general XP. Yeah, oh, okay, it's the Ranger and then the general. Okay, that's what it oh. is. Yeah. 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 So they're going to drop those tomorrow, um, which is great. But it looks like on the 18th is what I'm hearing. We're going to see the new Razors, uh, the new lineup for the Razors come out. Um, What do you think we're going to get? Because you're you're a newly you've had a UTV for a while, but you took the plunge, man. You went full force and got you a four seater and have it decked out. Dude, that thing is sick, man. But uh, what do you think? What's coming next? focusing on that new pro xp mm-hmm. um and even though you can still get the old style uh xp uh for one more year this will be the last year you can get that that style from what i hear really i haven't, um, I haven't heard yes, that yet as, as of 2022 it'll be nothing but pros um now from the grapevine i hear there's you know they've got the the Pro XP Turbo S coming out this year. Yeah. Now, um, now, now that I can't wait to see. I was, 
I was just on the verge of buying me a Pro XP mm-hmm. um, until I heard the S was coming. I was like, well, I'll wait. I like my car. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I want to switch to an S eventually anyway. And so, uh, I just was like, well, I'll wait for the, for the pro S and then I hear they're coming out with that new type R motor, uh-huh. you know, and I'm like, well, I guess now I'm waiting again. <laughs> so, so let's, so let's break it down. So in 2022, they're going to drop the XP platform, which, I think, what I hear, yeah, yeah, and and we'll just we'll just take it like it is because you know in all reality, uh, it's so funny. I was talking to David Uptain uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was trying to squeeze him out of some information. And I've been talking to the guys at Polaris; uh, they're going to come on the show in the coming weeks. We haven't nailed down a date because they're scrambling, obviously, because they have a big release coming out, so they can't necessarily right. commit just yet. Everyone, you know, anyone that can talk or has the information, they're not, they're under contract to not talk. So we'll just right. assume that everything you just said is the truth and it's correct. So, I hope so. Because uh, I, I hope so too. I do. Uh, so let's talk about XP going away. I think that's a huge, huge move because there's going to be a giant void there. Now, obviously, if the XP goes away, that means that all of, you know, the 1000 platform is going to get the pro chassis and it's going to get all of the pro stuff at a reduced price outside of the pro XP because what Polaris can't afford to do is lose their $22,000 and under market because that, that that's right there. So essentially the pro XP would become, you know, the, the bottom of the line model too. They'd have the pro XP, you know, LE or whatever the lower model is called, um, which I think is cool. I've driven a Pro XP. Uh, it drives incredible. Have you ever been in one? Um, just the four seater. I okay. have not been in a two seat version yet. Um, the four seaters are uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. I'm still not sure on the longer wheelbase. Oh, uh, dude. I think you... I do like to run up in the mountains and mm-hmm. the trails are kind of tight. I'll tell you this uh, every, every four seater I've been in, the only thing I can think to myself is, by the time I hit an obstacle or I hit a ledge, I'm already so far past it that I, you know, it's like so easy to climb things and it rides so good. Okay. Yeah. Those two things right there, you know, are almost enough to make me forget about the nimbleness of the two seater, because that's what you lose in the four seater. You can't, can't swing it around as easy. You can't, you know, you're not going to be a dart in the woods. You're going to be, you know, kind of in cruise mode for a lack of better words. Yes, exactly. And I, before I had my current car, which is a, a 2019 uh, turbo, um, I had a 2015 non-turbo two-seater. Yes. Um, and I liked it. It was fun. Um, I definitely enjoyed the turbo a little more. Um, yeah. But it did good. I, I really liked that car, but it, I just seemed like I, I, it was lacking something for me. Sure. Right. And sure. I wanted to be able to hit a little bit bigger whoops. And I'm like, well, four seater is probably something I need. Yeah. You know? And I don't know if you've noticed in any of the pictures, but there's no seats in the back. I have, I took them out the day I bought it and I haven't put them back in once. Yeah. That's a good um, move. That's, that's a really, in my opinion, that's, that's the move to make. 
Uh, so I don't... made me a little dog tray back there. Oh, uh, dude, that that's, that's great. It's carpeted and it folds up so you can put storage down where the passenger's feet would normally go. Um, and then it folds back flat and then my dogs can hang out on that flat deck. Um, and so, but yeah, I, I don't plan on ever putting the seats back in it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I pretty much ride solo all the time. Um, I'm not... I'm not a crazy fan of and everyone who's all my friends who listen to the show are going to understand why they don't get invited. I hate riding with people um, because I really like when you're a purist and and I, I could be wrong here and I'm the only one that feels this way. But when you're like just a purist and you love going off road and you love the machines, you love this and that, dude, I, ha I have a $1,300 speaker system in my car right now. I never listen to music. I never enjoyed taking anyone other than my wife because I obviously my wife is the greatest human to ever grace the earth. So I enjoy her company. Uh, but you know, it's very rare that I enjoy having anybody else in there with me because it just is a distraction and I got to worry about them falling out of the car. And if they're drinking, I got to worry about them, uh, you know, doing something stupid or annoying me or something like that. But Dude, you've got it figured out. Having a dog in the side—that's the having dogs back there. That's the way to go for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I love my dogs. We have we have five dogs. So you've got it. You don't have you have dogs. You have a you have a wolf pack. All right, all right. And you know they're uh, they love being outside. And honestly, I haven't gotten to take them out like a like I want to. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've been. Like I said, I've been busier this year than, than any other year before. Uh, I think, you know, the, the off-road industry has been, I, it hasn't slowed down. It's gotten even bigger since all this happened. So yeah, it's kind of weird. It, it's been weird for everybody, man. I don't think anybody knows what to expect. And with the, the <laughs> stimulus that got signed earlier this week, uh, I think it was Sunday, um, or Saturday or Friday. I don't even know anymore. Yeah, yeah. The um, executive dude, yeah. It's just we, we live in a, in a crazy time, and uh, it's just crazy things are happening. And you know, now there's payroll deferment and all this kind of other crazy stuff. That uh, yeah. again, I think I think it's I think it's good. I'm glad we're helping people, and giving people breaks in the time, and I personally like I will benefit from it as well. So it's it's all good news. But it's just so yeah. it's so you know unheard of what's happening. So. Uh, I don't know if any of us can predict what comes next. And yeah, I just hope that, yeah, I hope that everybody is, you know, pinching, pinching your pennies and, and hanging on and make sure you, that your family's protected and all those things, because, you know, who knows what comes next. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But back to our, our razor conjecture here. So uh, I've ridden in the turbo S they're the most, high performance vehicles for sure. I agree with you. I think that's where the market goes. Um, they have the 64 inch pro XP right now. Uh, I think that it's, if Polaris does not come up with the 72 inch pro XP this year, I think they take a huge, massive loss. A huge. Yeah. Possibly. Oh, they've got to, and they know it. It's coming. I, I agree with you. I think that it's, it's all there, you know, plain and simple. It has to come out. Um, but I, I think that the Pro XPR, the race machine that they're talking about, um, which, you know, no one, no one's there, there, there has been one like leak here. I'm using air quotes. Uh, and it was the patents. The patents came out and all this and that. And 
Uh, last year when the Pro XB came out, I saw the patents for the new four-cylinder engine super early and was, you know, I was ringing the bells that, hey, this is going in, this is going in. And everybody was like, oh, no, it's not. You don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. Well, a year later, suck it, everybody else. Um, so <laughs> so that being said, um, I don't think we're going to get that car this year. I don't. I think that. No, no, I don't think so either. I don't think we're going to get it in 2021. I, I don't think we're going to get it then either. Um, as much as I would love to say that Polaris is always like really spot on and really timely and everything, I always think that they're probably two to three years behind. And I don't know how the patent system works and, and how, you know, when things become public versus when they go into production and things like that. Right. I have no idea. So it could be that those patents were, you know, passed off two years ago and they are in production and there's things coming next year or the year after. But I, I don't know. And I think that the social media warriors are going to be really butthurt when the, the, that new style of car doesn't come out. Um, I think they're going to be all up in arms, but I do think we're going to get that 72 inch car. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, from what I've heard, that's, that's the plan. Um, you know, and I've seen quite a few people are already HCR has a long travel kit for that car yeah. already. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know quite a few guys that are, that are, have already done that and have been testing with it and that. And I just, the cost is, yeah. The cost to do a long travel is, you know, way higher than just waiting for the S. <laughs> well, I mean, even even on top of that, the cost of these vehicles. I mean, Can Am yeah. Can Am came out with their new smart technology, this and that, and that's a thirty seven thousand dollar vehicle. Ouch! That is so. I'm. It's so funny. I'm. I'm buying a car for my wife tomorrow, and uh, it's a. It's that's almost 10 grand more than a brand new Subaru. I'm going to go buy for my wife. That's bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty crazy. I don't even think, I mean, even just like mine, you know, like it turbo four seat. Yeah. It's not an S, but you know, it's 21,000. Yeah. I was about to say it's, it's insane what you're paying is the four seater. The jump in price from two seater to four seater is probably the one that baffles me the most because you have, you know, you're you're adding problems going to four seat, so I, I just don't know. But um, all in all, I, I was going to ask you, uh, where do you think that the UTV market heads? Where is it going next? that'll always continue um but i think as i just think the cars are going to get more race driven straight from the factory that's the way i see it going more options that you would need in a race car right from the factory like what uh well and i think speed side by side might be ushering in a lot of this with you know robbie gordon and his yep. cars but i i wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that soon we see these cars being required to come with window nets. Okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. I know I'm going to be putting some on mine soon. Um, it, that's one thing most people don't realize is you barrel roll one of these, you do not have control of your hands. Nope. 
And most people have no idea. I mean, I encourage people to watch a video of an in-car cab of a rollover before you go drive one of these cars because you don't have any control. And that's one of the things I worry about. Uh, even when I'm, you know, I'm going 65, 70 miles an hour in my car and I'm thinking, oh, man, if something happens here, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. could be bad, you know. Yeah. And so that's, you know, I just kind of think things like that, things that are more race technology, maybe more race safety technology uh i could see going into these cars maybe fire suppression systems right from the factory that would be i mean that's the that's the plague of polaris right is the fire the fires so i i agree with you that's where i could see things heading and i could be wrong but you know from you know like can-am's got their you know their rock crawler version that's got all these beefed up parts on it more race ready right from the factory you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I just think that's kind of where it'll be heading um, as the side-by-side market gets, you know. And it's kind of scary, really, from someone like me who's been in driving off-road cars mm-hmm. all my life. You get these people that have never driven off-road and get in a car that's as capable as a four-seat Razor or Can-Am or, or whatever, and get yourself into a lot of trouble real quick yeah because the car will get you there really fast <laughs> yeah it'll yeah. go way more places than most people should take them yeah i you would agree I mean? with you and even me i'm not saying i can take mine everywhere i see stuff and i'm like i'm not going up that uh dude I'm that's like, <laughs> you know it's so funny i hate i it, like there's i had one guy who i was riding with he, he gave me a call and he was like yeah, you know, so and so, he he said he doesn't he doesn't want to go out with us anymore because, you know, no one hits the hard stuff and he he's kind of giving me a hard time. He's like uh telling me, you know, like yeah, well no one hits the hard stuff and I expected you to. And I was like, "Look, I have a podcast. I love this stuff. The side-by-sides are the best, like my favorite thing ever to do. But I'm not stupid and I'm not a millionaire, okay? I don't have millions of dollars. So, a I'm not going to go, you know, just trash my stuff just because, you know, everybody wants to watch a show. Some guys will do that, not me. But the part B right. that always gets me, and, and I talk to these rock bouncer guys and the UTV guys in particular, I don't want to die. I don't want, you know, head trauma. <laughs> right. Like, I, I know everyone, you know, there's tons of safety precautions, but I see guys that go out trail riding, you know, on the weekends. They'll just put their harnesses in, no window nets, no helmets, no anything. And they'll go hit a bounty hill that people race on for $10,000 just because. And I'm like, dude, you couldn't. You, if, if you told me, hey, if you just try this hill, you know, give it all your glory and all your guts and we'll give you the 10 grand. Dude, no thanks. My, you know, my attempt and when I roll back down the hill, then like you said, you know, like I, my, my arm that I lose because it got ripped off in the car or the bar that I'd hit my head on or some, you know, the debris that came in and poked me in the eye and I can't see out of an eye. Like I have no desire to do that. And, and just even attempt it. It's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, you know? Right. Yeah, so, I get it. And I probably drive a little quicker than I should sometimes, you know, but I sure. don't, I don't go out and do blatant dumb things. Yeah. Yeah. Sense. I love, dude, you I know? love going fast, going fast. I feel like is, it, it lulls you into a false sense of security because uh, going fast oh, yeah. can go, it can go pretty south pretty quick, but man, I'd so much rather hit a dirt track than go climb some crazy Hills for sure. Absolutely. All right. I, 
I have one comment about your razor that I'm going to make and uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, so I'm looking at a picture of your car. The tender springs uh, on this car are totally collapsed. Uh, oh, I already have new springs on it. Okay, then. perfect, perfect. I was like, yep. dude, <laughs> if there's anything that I can tell people to do is, uh, so the sponsor of the show has a great, they have a great upgrade, all things UTV. Um, and this isn't just a plug for them. I, I have them on my car. Dude, you are robbing, uh, like for 250 bucks or whatever the spring kit costs, you are just robbing yourself of like spinal fluid because from the factory, yeah. just that little spring not being there makes such a huge difference. But uh, yeah, for, for, you know, I, I won't go for the, I won't, you know, I don't need to plug the brand or anything, but yeah. I went with the full dual rate kit. Yeah. New, new upper and lowers and it, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yes. My biggest change like ever. <laughs> to, to me, <laughs> you know? so look, if I'm going to get a $30,000 car, uh, it better come riding like that. It is yeah. insane to me that these cars come riding like crap out of the box. And I get it. They're super capable. There's tons of technology there. But Polaris, if you are listening, and when I interview Polaris and I think Can-Am has it more figured out, but man, if you guys want to, if you guys want to make people so much happier, make a base model that rides good end of story. And you'll sell a bajillion of them. Everyone will go to that car rather than the $30,000 high end car that, that has a nice seat in it, you know? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And I've, uh, I've had the opportunity recently to drive the lowest model pro XP mm -hmm. and then the highest model pro XP, both four seaters, one with the Walker Evans shocks and one with the Fox shocks. Uh -huh. It's not even the same car. No, no. I love Walker Evans, killer guy, but I'm sorry his shocks just don't contend with Fox. It just, I, I you know, I feel rude for even saying that, but I, I have Walkers on mine, so yeah. I know my back can tell you. Yeah, all about yeah, it. and that's um, that's just it. Here's the here's the way I look at it. It is a choice. I don't know if it's Walker Evans that said, "Hey, this is the optimal kit here," or if it's Polaris saying, "Hey." you know, save $400 a car and do the valving this way. I don't know who's making that choice, but I would right. imagine if Walker Evans had it their way, they would not send it out the door. You know, they would valve it or spring it in a way which you don't end up with the result you get off the floor. That's my single biggest complaint with the UTV market. I don't yeah. At all, if it rides good, but we know Walker knows how to tune shocks. Yeah, that's that's RJ just Anderson's cars and that. We exactly. know they can make the product, and I think it's Polaris holding them back. Honestly, I, I do too. But. And to me, look, a shim stack is a shim stack. It's not going to cost you any more to valve it correctly. It's not going to cost you, you know, four hundred more dollars a vehicle to uh, put a longer spring on there. Like it just there's so many. Anyways, I'll get off my soapbox well, the here. The biggest thing for me is. The lower end cars, the non S cars, have a two inch diameter front shock. Yeah, that's a where big deal. the other ones are two and a half inch and about three inches in the rear. And so you've got more oil volume, bigger shim stacks, bigger everything. It's just a better shock. It is. And I, you can buy a Walker Evans upgrade for the front, I found out. It's like 11, 12, 1300 bucks, somewhere in there. Yeah. Get you a two and a half inch Walker shock that's, you know, race tuned. Yeah. Um, for, you know, and it, I've been contemplating it every time I go out. And so my buddy has a 2018 Textron 
double yeah. X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, amazing car. You can see a picture of it in the last post I made. Yeah, today. I um, actually, I actually thought about buying one of those when I sold my last my Rock Bouncer. I was like, hey, go out on a limb and buy this, and I decided not to yeah. because part. He, He's went crazy on it. It's an amazing car. You know, we just put on the speed side by side, seventy-two wide, uh, fully TIG welded, you know, kit, and had shock therapy. He sent the shocks off to shock therapy, and they put a special, you know, Textron double X tune on it. Mm -hmm. That car is unreal. I believe it. <laughs> I love my Polaris, but I mean. My car sucks compared to that car. <laughs> Dude, when that's... it comes to like race driving, yeah. you know what I mean? Absolutely. When it comes to rock crawling, my, my Polaris kills that car. Yeah. But when it comes to going fast, oh man, they got the recipe down on that text run. I would agree with you. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of really cool technology that's in that car that no one talks about, like the telescoping axles and things like that. Um, yeah, the real trailing arms in yeah, the back, it's, no camber links. Dude, it's such, yeah. a, it's such a cool car. Um, I am, I am bummed because I, I almost bought one, but just the, the issues with the aftermarket stuff that were going on at the time, it just, Oh, it's still going on. Uh, it sucks. It sucks. Because, I can't make roll cages for him. I, we talked to him. So my buddy doing all this stuff, it had a couple issues with the kit. And yeah. so he's actually becoming kind of come friends with Robbie Gordon in the meantime. Yeah. And, uh, I think he's going to end up getting one of those new new cars Woo, that buddy. got coming out Dude, but, yeah. those cars are crazy those cars oh, are <laughs> crazy and I'm, I'm trying to get him on i haven't reached out to him yet but I, i'm trying to get him on and just do a an hour run through because he's done hours and hours on facebook live and youtube live and breaking down everything yeah, that'd be a cool interview. man it'd be awesome just because a moron like me doesn't even know where to start when he's got 15 hours of content out there you know, I, I can't I can't necessarily just sit down and do it. I want like the serve it to me on a plate and give it to me in an hour and tell me why it's better type thing. So we'll, right. we'll try and work it out. But um, yeah, it's we, an amazing car. It is. Help. It is, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be something that in my it can change it. It can. It has the potential to change the UTV market. So we'll just we'll just leave it there. Um, yeah. Let's move to possibly uh one of the more popular topics when it comes to uc fab um the rc work you've done um you mentioned yes, earlier that you kind of you branched into it and and i don't know it not only is the craftsmanship well but like at such a small scale the craftsmanship the craftsmanship translates over which um is not always the case so i'm interested to hear you know, where did it start for you? Did you start with the SCX 10 or the AX 10 and, and just jump in or how did, how did you get plugged in the RC world? Um, so basically I had sold, I sold one of my old rock crawlers that I was actually in the process of building. It was a Dodge based buggy. Um, I had sold it. Um, and we got some four wheelers, uh, some 700 Grizzlies with the power steering and all that. And, we played with those for a while and I wanted to get into something else, uh, along with that. And I had a buddy who had a, one of the old AX 10 scorpions. Um, and he had put a, some metal chassis on it, you know, and this is little, you know, teeny little metal thing. I don't even remember who built it, but 
I had a blast. I'd never driven an RC car before. Okay. Uh, other, you know, than like store built stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, so this is probably seven, eight years ago now. I'd never driven an, a real hobby grade RC car before. And he came up to our cabin in Yellowstone and there's not a lot of rocks right there. So we were just climbing over logs and stuff. And it had like the old competition tires on it and that, you know, stick on wheel weights inside the wheels and, you know, just old school stuff. And so anyway, I, I liked that. Uh, and then a whole year went by before I was like, all right, I really want one of these things. And so went down to our local hobby shop and picked me up a Scorpion, the AX-10 Scorpion. Mm -hmm. I kept it stocked for about an hour. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Got home and immediately just started tearing it apart because I've been in rock crawling for years and years. I knew it. I knew the battery needed relocated. I knew that it needed some weight up front. I knew I wanted to change some shock angles and, all sorts of crazy things and so it just kind of started there um and then uh got in with a group of friends here locally uh that were heavily into rc and have been since they were young like Mm -hmm. i had been into full size since i was young right yeah uh i realized that they had local competitions here and i just decided to show up to one of them and they weren't rock crawling competitions it was uh an endurance race you're you know running behind your rc car yeah and uh i did that it took me took me about a half a year they did it once a month it took me about a half a year to get my first win um the first couple events i didn't even finish the course uh batteries dying you know all sorts of you know things you don't really prep for an endurance race yeah when you don't and so after I got into it more and more, uh, like I said, my buddy J-Rad with that Textron, he built him a little tube chassis, uh, but he made it out of a uh, brake line, uh, and it was brazed up with silver solder, just like mine are. Um, that one you got on the screen there is actually a TIG welded car, okay. solid rod. Uh, most of my cars, I that car you've got a picture of on the screen is the BDI. That's the very first solid rod car I built. Nope, I take that back. I did build some solid rod PRTs. Uh, anyway, so my buddy J-Rad had built one out of uh, brake line. I thought that was cool. I'm like, man, I really want to build me one. So we took ideas from the car he had built and thought, man, if I did this a little different on mine, and, you know, kind of came up with basically the same design but different, mm-hmm. you know, and – uh, just kind of once, once we started building ourselves two chassis, the racing got more intense, you know, the cars got more capable and, uh, we would race every, every single month and big groups. I mean, we'd have groups of anywhere from 40 to a hundred people showing up. Dude, that's crazy. Events. That's a huge number of people. Yes. Yes. And really big, it was really big racing series and they still do it. I, I haven't done it in a while, um, but so yeah, we did that, um, and it just started from there as far as building RCs. I built one for myself. People are like, wow, that's cool. You know, I want one, you know, and it just, you start building them for your buddies, and then from there, uh, you know, I just like, wow, it looks like people would really like to have these things. Mm-hmm. And I like building them, and 
it was a whole new thing. I mean, as far as one-to-one to RC, I'd say 95% of it transfers directly over. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's amazing because RC yes. is where I learned primarily how to work on these stupid pieces of junk. <laughs> and by stupid pieces <laughs> of junk, I mean full size. I started with RC, went to Jeeps and then UTVs. And uh, the RC world really like helps you get the generic concepts down for sure. Oh, absolutely. It makes a big difference. And uh, so, yeah, it just kind of started from there. And then uh, U4RC, are you familiar with that yes. series? So they do like the track style racing where you stand on a driver's stand and, and kind of like when the whole four cars go to Wild West Motorsport for that. You know, you've got a rock pile you blast over. And um, that got really, really big for a while. And I decided I wanted to build some cars that were designed specifically for that type of racing in the trophy class. So trophy classes has to be fully custom, has to be a metal cage, uh, certain wheelbase specifications, widths and lengths and stuff like that, like normal. Um, but it had to be a, a metal tubing car to compete in that class. And that class really took off for a long time. And, um, I built a car called the PRT, which stands for Pure Race Truck. Now, those are going to be the cars way back on my page. With the, They're going to have trailing arms in the rear and then leading arms in the front. Okay. Um, solid axle front, you know, and I built a lot of those. I, I mean, I would I'd say that I probably built, oh, I don't know, 40 or 50 of them. Um, and they, they did really good, uh, competition wise. And then everybody just started switching over to independent cars. And then, it, you know, the kind of the classes split up to a trophy independent and trophy solid, mm-hmm. the solid axle cars just can't compete with an independent car in the RC version. Yeah. Uh, very well. So, uh, can I, can I pause, all just can I pause you right there? there? And ask you a question. So, you know, you, you just said that the independent cars really have a strong advantage. Every independent car I've had has issues with the front end. And, you know, yeah. whether it's the differential blowing itself to a million pieces, that's the issue I had in my Rock Ray. I just, I had, you know, an SSD bulkhead, heavy duty gears, everything. It just, it just sucked. Um, but the main issue is steering. It always seems unpredictable and where it's going. Is there a, a fix for that? I mean, you're the man who's going to know if there is an, a, a fix, but I could never get it to go where I wanted it to ever. Um, well, the biggest thing is on most independent cars from the factory, especially they're going to come with a servo saver. Yeah. Um, which is going to be a big spring on your servo. And that's why you're not getting any, uh, you're not getting a good feedback of what the steering's doing. Um, so like you'll turn the servo and the spring in the servo saver has to like catch up. Um, okay. So on all my independent cars that I built, we, we eliminate that and you just have to have a super strong servo and go straight to the servo, uh, to the steering arm. Okay. Um, but usually that's the biggest difference. And you know, the biggest problem after that is just steering angles. Uh, some, some cars are worse than others. Um, as far as like steering angle 
max steering angle axials probably the worst sure uh, i would have to agree with you the yeti was is not a good car oh terrible for steering um so losi has their stuff way together as far as independent fronts go compared to axial mm -hmm. um so they run some camber or you know or i mean some caster they run some caster in their a-arms mm -hmm. lays them back which really helps the steering where you're you know kind of laying that tire over letting it grab on the edge of the sidewall almost mm -hmm. uh when you steer uh things like that um but yeah i mean the biggest thing is just getting rid of the servo savers if you've got a strong enough servo. Okay. Okay. Uh, Noted. Noted. If you need a strong enough servo, I highly recommend the uh, MKS servos. I've had extremely good luck with those. Really? Yeah. It's good to know. Um, but I didn't mean to cut you off earlier. So if you want to no, continue fine. back to the progression, I think where we left off was the transition from uh, you know, the, the solid axle front car to the independent cars and, and what ensued after that. Cause, uh, you know, you went from building, I think I have one on screen here, uh, these beautiful, beautiful, uh, front, uh, front leading arm, trailing arm cars. And then yeah. it went to the independent cars, which I'll, I'll get pulled up here as soon as I make my way 10,000 years back in photos. Uh, right. <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and then, you know, it, it really became a staple of your brand because, you know, if you wanted a high end, if, if I'll say even currently, if you want a high end, uh, IFS or independent car at any level, um, you're pretty much the man, you know, you have it figured out. Uh, what, what are you doing in these chassis that really make the independent suspension so much more functional? Um, well, I really just kind of play with the geometries a little bit. If you notice, like on, well, that's a bomber you've got pulled up Yeah, there. I've got, I've got, um, I've got, I've, you're going to see it again. I just pulled up a different picture. I'm trying to find. Uh, no worries. Um, if you notice on a lot of the independent cars I've built, uh, I put the, the shocks behind the axles. They all come on the front. Mm -hmm. Um, and I move them back behind the axle where they would be on a, on a full size independent car. Okay. I, I, I mean, there could be one, but I would be blown away if there's even one single independent car on the market, a full size one that has the shocks forward of the axle shafts. There may be some, but I haven't seen them. Now, is that because um, the angle the shocks would have to be at would, would like, I mean, overlap on the axle? Because I, I agree with you now. I'm rolling through my head. I don't think there is, but is that, I mean, what's the benefit? It's an RC thing is all it is. It's because they're, they're not putting in the effort to figure out how to make it go where it's supposed to go. So it goes uh, back now, to steering. What's that? It goes back to the steering and that, that shock location behind the axle is a steering benefit. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It helps that. And, you know, and also helps with looks. Oh, um, certainly. You know, like if you look at say my version of the laser nut car that I built, sure. the shocks are in the exact same location as they are on the real car. But if you look at Losi's new version, the shocks are in front of the axle shafts, way forward of where they would normally be no. on the real car. No. That seems, um, that's goofy that they would do that. That's just because that's how all RCs are built. It's, it's just, it's, it's just, you know, 
I just what they do. So like on all my, even my low C cars, I built a couple of uh, Red Dragon ish. They weren't direct replicas of the Red Dragon, but they're Red Dragon ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I built a couple of those uh, based off of low C cars, um, and they've been really good cars. Um, but the main thing I want to do when I can. And I didn't do that on a couple of those Losi cars. I left them up front mm-hmm. for ease. Um, but I know I had told you before, I'm right in the process, and I have both builds started. I've not posted them yet. Um, but I'm building two uh, Triton Engineering Jordan Pellegrino replicas. Dude, have you have you talked uh, to him about this yet? To Jordan? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep, yep. He's, he's wanting... Uh, these were supposed to start just before COVID, and uh, because of the COVID, they've been backburnered for a little bit. Um, but I'm just getting ready to start firing on all cylinders back on them. So one of them's going to be—they're both based off the Losi, you okay. know, their SCT platform, um, which is basically the same as the new car. Um, they're. I'm going to be on those cars. I will be messing with where the shops are located in the front okay. uh, to get them back behind the axle. I've already figured it out what needs to be changed. And uh, you'll notice on like the axial cars and there might not be many pictures of it or whatever, but the tie rods have a bend in them to kind of go out and around the shock. Now, is this on the, uh, on the, on the low C laser nut car? Uh, this would be on the, the actual laser nut car that I've built. Okay. Gotcha. So the, yeah, and there's probably not really a good, decent shot of it, but the, the tie rods, so the shock is between the actual shaft and the tie rods. Um, and it, it's really tight packaging. Everything like barely, barely clears. I see it. Um, I found one. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> so you'll see it in just a second. Um, but yeah, those are. The, the steering is really tight packaging, um, but I think the benefits of it are big enough that I'm willing to, you know, like put in that type of effort. Yeah. So let's so. let's talk about this because obviously, you know, the the laser nut Losi car has come out. Um, they're they're a little they're a little different of each other. Um, uh, you know, obviously, I'll, I'll pull up a picture of the the new um, car that came out from uh, Losi. See if I can't. Um, you know, it looks, it looks great. Uh, you know, very reminiscent of the, the normal car, very reminiscent of, of, of the styles that you've built. Um, there are some differences there, but what are your thoughts on this car? Do you think that it turned out the way that, uh, everyone expected it to? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I think they did a really good job on that car. Um, I've yet to see one or have one in my hands. So hopefully, uh, I can get my hands on one here soon, but, sure. um, yeah, I think it turned out really good. Um, I think it was a, a needed project for sure. Yeah. Fill in that unlimited class void, um, some competition for the DDA cars and the unlimited class. So, um, but yeah, I, I think they did a really good job. I'm, I'm super stoked for Cody. I know that he's, he's been working on this for some time and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty cool car. So let me ask you this, because I'm going to I'm going to pull yours up now. Um, It seems first off, uh, you know, there's a difference between 
and I would, I would consider the car that you made the one that I have on screen now. Um, this is a one-off car. This is a handmade car and the production Losi one is, um, obviously a little bit more, um, I don't want to say mass produced like a negative thing, but, um, there are differences between these two cars in which yours has a little bit of the finer details. You know, the finer details have a, more of a pop. That's kind of how I'll say it. Uh, there's, there's details in different areas on, on the cars that pop a little differently. Um, I really like what you did with yours. And the reason I want to talk about yours versus what they have now is the Losi car that came out is a basher, right? It is a open short course basher car. And the car yeah. that you built is very much more, in my opinion, geared towards the rocks. It's geared towards, you know, the more KOH style car rather than, um, you know, just the, the, the beat it down car. A lot of the reviews I've seen for it right now are just, you know, 40 miles an hour, uh, on some open terrain. And, and I think again, just my opinion, um, I think they missed the market just a little bit and made it too, too much basher, not enough scale crawler. Right. And I think that, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there will be some sort of aftermarket support where you can transform it to more of a rock crawler, you know, and I say that by, you know, locking the center diff and locking the front and rear diffs, yeah. uh, that sort of a thing. Yeah. Because um, other than like the shop geometry, you know, they're going to be basically the same car uh, outside of gearing. Mm -hmm. um, so like I had myself a laser nut uh, card. I ended up selling it uh, when I, kind of got out of our scene a mm -hmm. little bit. Um, I had one for myself and I actually competed with it in these uh, endurance races. Yeah. And um, I won the first two races with it. And then the third race, I ended up a uh, mechanical problem that was my fault. I left some, some screws loose and my whole rear wheel fell off right in the middle of the race. <laughs> that was totally my bad. And, and you know, uh, but if the car had a good record for being able to crawl, I just had to crawl different. I sure. had to sweep it wide knowing that I didn't have that tight steering. And and I was competing against other cars like Iaville. Plus, I'd say 90% of the field were running, you know, super souped up bombers. Yeah. Right. So that was my competition were mainly you know, highly capable bombers. Mm -hmm. um, and I could gain, I could pull on them in the fast stuff and on the side hill stuff. And, but like on tight turn areas, I could, you know, they'd catch back up to me and, you know, it, it made it fun because areas where they were struggling, I wouldn't and vice versa. And I had a good time with it. I raced it a few times and then I ended up selling it. But, mm -hmm. um, that car is, they're pretty crazy. One, um, one thing that most people don't realize I have into those, I have 120 to 150 hours per car. That's crazy. Um, so that's where the price comes from. People don't understand it. How in the hell could someone pay that kind of a money? But I mean, if you're paying somebody to do 150 hours of labor, you know, yeah, it is what, you know, yeah. it is what it is. But, 
Now, and just for those uh, who aren't as familiar, shoot me, I mean, ballpark me the price for one of these, you know, handmade laser nut cars. Well, I don't sell them to the public because of the price. Sure. Um, well, they get. If so, I was to add so, up my shop rate times the hours and the parts and everything, you're looking at, you know, ready to run car, five grand. Yeah. Yeah. 5,500. And, and the crazy, I'll, I'll say crazy part here is there's, you know, a, a group on Facebook that's basically uh, a group of people that want to buy your cars. And once they get into the public hands, I'm using a little bit of air quotes there, uh, you know, they're so one off that as soon as these things go up for sale, they're, I mean, sold for much more than that price that you just named. You know, they're, it's crazy because, you know, it's like a, it's like having one of 10 in the entire world. And as soon as one becomes available, it's gone in an instant. It's very, very cool. Yeah, it is. And I, I didn't expect that. I, I really appreciate it. I do have like a, a really big backing um, from most people. Um, and like you said, it, the used UC fab market is blows my mind. It really does because We've got the UC Fab group page on Facebook, mm-hmm. and those will go. It's the only thing I let people sell in that group is if you've got a chassis for sale, one yeah. of mine, right? Yeah. And I mean, like you said, it'll go. It'll only be up there for about five minutes, whether the price is eighteen hundred or four grand. Yeah, it's gone. Is and you'll have people fighting over them. Yeah, and, you know, and I've just been like, wow, you know, it's pretty humbling, honestly, and. Uh, what the, what people don't realize is like how many of these I've actually built too, and there's a lot of them out there that people they don't even they'll never post them for sale, right? Yeah. Like, and I've built chassis uh, for people all over the world: uh, France, Italy, uh, Norway, uh, Australia. Um, That's so cool. You know, many in China, Taiwan. Yeah. Um, all over the world, I've sold. I probably built about a, somewhere around two hundred and twenty-five chassis. Dude, that's bananas. <laughs> that is that is <laughs> crazy. Know, that's over like a, a five and a half year period. Yeah, but still amazing. Yeah, so a lot of chassis. Um, lately, um, I've kind of, like I said, kind of got a little bit away from RC and back towards the full size stuff. But I've got a really good friend of mine, uh, Gene Boyd. Um, I don't know if that name sounds familiar to you or not, but he runs my whole website for me. Um, he does all the sales and all the products and stuff. And then recently he's come and stayed with me for a week at a time here and there. And the last time he stayed here for three weeks and I trained him how to build uh, deadbolt cages. And uh, he actually built his first uh, moon buggy, his, you know, Officially licensed JHF moon buggy chassis that yeah. we have for the Capra. Um, I I had to help him a little here and there uh, direction wise, but I made him build it himself, and he he had to change a couple tubes here and there, but he honestly did an amazing job. Uh, you know, and I had to you know I sat there and watched him and gave him the tips on the brazing and stuff like that. But yeah. he did a really good job, good enough that uh, I'm letting him kind of take over certain sections of the fabrication on the RC side. Yeah. Um, he's doing deadbolt cages uh, right now, bomber bumpers and uh, some of the smaller items. And then we're going to have him doing the JHF moon buggies here uh, 
hopefully within the month or so. Well, I think they're awesome. I, I have a question about those because uh, you guys have some scale accessories on those uh, moon buggies, you know, like the Rams and, uh, you know, the, every every little detail is is just so cool on there. I'm trying to find a picture of the one that I'm thinking of. Um, where do you guys find those little scale things? I mean, are you guys taking miscellaneous parts and just in, you know, making them uh, appear that way? Or is there a place where you can buy one tenth scale, you know, PSC Ram? Um, so there's getting to be more and more places that are, that are coming up with, especially with 3d printing, but you're probably thinking of Cody's. Uh, yes. I built Cody a shelf queen, uh, pretty penny. Yes. It doesn't run or anything. Um, all that Ram and the steering links and all that, I handmade that on my lathe. That's amazing. Um, I have a little mini lathe, a little teeny Harbor Freight mini lathe that's perfect for RC stuff. And I, I, I just took a chunk of half inch solid rod, you know, bored out the center of it and then shaped it to look like a Ram. And then I made little fittings on the lathe out of some one eighth solid rod spun them down, put little bends in them so they look like a fitting and brazed them on. It's just so cool, man. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at a picture on your Instagram and it's just, uh, <laughs> some, some of the craftsmanship here is just so it's just crazy. Yeah. And that's all just hand fabbed. Um, it actually could function if I hooked it up. Sure. Um, yeah. It's a functional setup. You can use it, the, it, the string system to a servo, right? Yeah, you can. Um, or you could just, uh, Basically, if you look at it, it's just a tie rod. Yes. The center rod just goes back through the the fixed, you know, cylinder. Yeah. Um, it's actually really simple because that's a non-functioning car. Mm -hmm. um, but the scariest thing I think with that was, you know, when I built that, they had just come out, but I had to drill a hole in the front of the Vanquish housing. Oh yeah, I'd have a, I'd have, a, I'd have a heart attack, man. <laughs> Some of the prices yeah. I've seen for those housings, I'm just like, oh, I could buy razor yeah. parts. <laughs> like, yeah, oh. so I didn't want to drill a hole in it, but I had to. Yeah. So. Oh, my gosh, man. It's just so – they're just so cool to look at, too. I mean, everything about them is great. Um, yeah, and like that little orbital valve, I just handmade that on my lathe with a grinder. And That's just crazy. That is just so crazy, man. Uh, wow. I feel like sometimes I tell people I feel – like a jeweler almost little teeny parts. I feel like sometimes I should have a magnifying glass. And <laughs> I get it. I get it. And that's, and that's why, you know, when I mentioned earlier, the translation from full size fabrication to small scale, like 99% of people, there would be a loss of quality, but there is none with you. Like you do go down to the jewelers like level. And that's, that's part of it. That's part of where the magic comes in. So I think it's so yeah. cool. I think it's so cool. And, you know, I don't, it's one of those things that I think it's the same feeling that people who build like model towns, you know, they're like, they put little people everywhere and this, this guy sitting on the bench is eating an ice cream cone. It's, it's when you start to zoom in and, and just see, Oh, that kid that's on that bench, you know, is, is eating a, a hand painted ice cream cone and it's spilled on his lap. And then you start looking at these things and you're like, okay, this is an insane amount of detail. Like your little 3D printed motor and in, in the buggy that's on the screen now. How cool is yeah. that? It's just little things like that that really, really make it special. So when I try, and I've always gone this way, and, and I think this is lost on 
on a lot of, of the RC industry. When I'm scrolling through Facebook or whatever, and I'm looking at pictures of an RC car, if I click on that picture and I don't look at it and go, man, is that real? Yeah. Then, then, then you, you really haven't done that good of a job. Yeah, I get that. It, it, you know what I mean? Like, if you can't mistake it for something that's real, then, then to me, I mean, there's nothing wrong with other people that don't want that much detail in their cars. Not, it's not for everybody, right? I'm not right. bagging on those people that, that don't want that kind of detail on their car. But for me, when in the beginning of every build, I'm like, okay, how can I build this so that if someone's scrolling along, they're going to be like, damn, that's a cool car. Holy crap, it's an RC. Yep, I, I 100% understand, 100%. That's why I do the the motors and the, the you know, like on the, the laser nut car, I made sure the shocks were behind the axle yep. so they're in the same position as the real car. Um, even if that happened to make it function a little worse, I still would have done it. Yeah. Because to me, it's very important for you to be able to look at it and accidentally mistake it for a real one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Certainly, certainly. So I, and that's where I kind of get all that detail from. I, I love that. And that's one of the things that drew me into uh, the, the hobby to begin with was um, that level of scale detail. Because I jumped in when Axial came out with the SCX-10 Jeep, the JK, the four-door, the first time they ever came out with that, uh, oh, yeah. back in, what was it, 2013? Man, that just blew my socks off. And I was a Jeep guy only at the time, so I was like going nuts, you know. Just Jeep guys are special people. Uh, they yeah, just right. lose their mind over some of the silly stuff. And I was, I can say that because I, that was me. Um, but I have, I have a couple questions. First, uh, what is your RC tire of choice? It looks like you have Proline everything, but if you had one that you were going to stick with for the rest of eternity, what's it going to be? Um, man, if I could get Proline to make a, a KR2 or a KR3 or KM3, whatever, any of those in a 2.2, that would be my favorite. Um, as far as a 2.2 tire goes, I mean, as far as like, if you want the best traction and the best of performance, you've got to run the Hyrax. Okay. Uh, I've, so, I've, never, I've never run those. Run. What's that? I've never run those. Are they really that, I mean, dominant over everything else? They are. Oh, they truly are. All the bummer. sipes. And, it, you know, it's a BFG pattern. If you look mm -hmm. at it, all it is is a crawler. Yeah. Um, with, with a bunch of sipes and a little different sidewall. Um, fantastic. All around for pretty much everything. But it doesn't do it for me in the scale department. Agreed. So I run Proline's old KR2, like on my bomber mm -hmm. and stuff. Uh, really short lugs. They don't do great everywhere. But I'm willing to sacrifice to make it look like a real car. I get that. I get that. Um, so as far as all out, and then in the in the one nine, I would no doubt the one nine uh, Proline crawler. I, so I run their Super Swamper in that Predator compound, and first off, I was blown away by how soft that tire is. Um, but two, they're good when oh, they're wet, when it's cold. Dude, it's crazy how good they hook up. Yeah. Um, but my only question was the KR or the crawler tire. Um, it seems a bit wider than the like. It, it just it seems a little too wide. Are are my are my hesitations? Um, is that not the case? Are, are they, are they really? Yeah, they 
the same exact carcass. Okay. So they're, they're the same width. They might appear, and you might have seen somebody who had them on a wider wheel. That's possible. Or, yeah, that's very possible. You know what I mean? But they're, they are made both from that XL car carcass. Okay. And they're the same same width, same height. Okay, same I'll, have to, I'll have to order me a pair then because we're a set. Uh, because I love my favorite tires I run are the ax or not the ax or yeah, they're the axial crawlers just cause I love the pattern and they're super narrow. Um, but yeah. and the, the pro line ones are going to be like a quarter inch taller than the axial ones. Too. All right. I'm sold. All right. I got to order uh, some now. I would, I would recommend and you're in Tennessee, right? Yes, sir. I still would recommend try the non predator compound, the G8. Really? Yeah, I it's my, I don't run the Predator compound here. Um, I don't for the rocks that we have here and that I run the G8 on everything. Um, really? Huh. I don't own a single set of Predator tires. What these? And so I the, have like I have like twenty sets of Proline tires. That so are all G8. So the the tires are that are on screen. Those are G8. Yeah. Wow, they look really soft. Okay, all right, I'm sold. I'll order some. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> you got me. Yeah, you sure. can try the Predator compound, but um, here it's it's too hot usually when we're when we're driving. Yeah. Um, obviously not in the winter, but um, so the lug, the carcass is so soft when you're sitting there on a line and you're sitting there slowly spinning your tires, fighting for traction. You'll notice a difference where the predator tire will be like silent. You won't even hear the lugs trying to grab mm -hmm. because they're literally just folding over on themselves. That makes because sense. Because the carcass is soft. Yeah. And so the G8 compound, the lug has some rigidity. And so you get in that same line and you'll hear the tire. Thum, 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 thum. That's, is trying that, to grab. Is that not the world's greatest sound? Isn't it? I love oh, it. Oh, gosh. Dude. Hearing, hearing <laughs> that little like, you know, it's just, I'll set my tires on a ledge and I'll just have them sit there and I'll just, I'll get real close to it and listen for it. And I'm just watching them. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, this is it. And I, I tell people <laughs> this all the time. And, and I, and, you know, it sounds like you, you mentioned earlier, you kind of moving away from the RC stuff, but if you ask me on the right day between full size UTV and RC, I mean, I would say it's a 50, 50 shot between RC and side by sides for me. Um, right. There's just, there's something, maybe it's the kid in me and just being so young that RC, like just, I, there, there's the same amount of fulfillment for me to climb a hill in an RC as there is for me to climb a hill in my side by side. Exact same. I cannot tell you how much I love the RC world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are so fun. They're addicting. And I think my biggest thing is I was so heavily into it for five years straight. Yeah. And it just got to the point where I needed to change it up just a little bit. Sure. Um, I get it. And kind of go back, but I mean, I still have, I still have my a bomber, you know. And I gave my nephew a really built race that I built. And he loves it, and so that keeps me involved a little because sure. I, I, it warms my heart to see him wheeling that thing because I know he he loves it. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna upgrade him soon to uh, a bomber. He's got a like I said, a built race and a, mm -hmm. a brushed brushed motor and everything and he's gotten old enough now that he we're gonna upgrade him to brushless and that's exciting go all out for him but uh yeah that kind of keeps me i still have interest in it um but uh, honestly i get very little play time 
It mm-hmm. might look like I play a lot, but <laughs> if you look at my Facebook, but I get very little play time, and so I, I, I've, I'm still hooked on my razor. I go out, and every time I take it out, my face hurts because I can't stop smiling. I get it. I get know? it. Uh, okay, so I have I have one last question, and this is my last one uh, for the interview because we're about to bark on two hours here. Uh, so oh, wow. I'm, I'm su- okay. dude, I'm super thankful you give me all this time. Um, yeah, it sounds like you you probably haven't. Have you had any experience with the twenty fourth scale stuff? Uh, yeah, I actually have. Um, I've also you know played around a little bit with the one eighteenth scale. Sure, we had a little racing league here. <laughs> of 118th scale. So it is a little different than the 124. But yeah, I, I have definitely looked at it. And honestly, Jordan's recent posts and Randall's posts lately yep. have kind of sparked my interest in one of those. And I was listening to your podcast with Jordan and it, those new micro shark chassis that he's making or using. And then now it sounds like he's making his own. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I think I actually want one because you know, I live in Utah, and the winter months here it can vary. Sometimes we don't get much snow, and other times there's two feet on the ground. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, man, it'd be cool to have a, a little one again. So I do plan on getting myself and probably my nephew get him one too, so he can can play. But so, uh, so I've, but bought, yeah, I've, I've, I've bought I've bought two. Cool. I've bought two of them right now, and oh, awesome. I'm I'm already talking my. Uh, Man, I don't even know what he is. Uh, I think it's my father-in-law. I think that's right. It's stepfather-in-law, one of those. Uh, he came over the other day, and he was like, I want to get one. And I'm like, all right, dude, I'll just buy you one here. You keep it here. You come over anytime because I secretly want a third. Um, but <laughs> what I'm trying to uh, ask is, would you consider building or having you know your guy that you just trained uh, a 124th scale chassis that's like a, a you know a really bare minimum that micro shark style chassis. Um, I think if you used solid rod on one of those things, because uh, the issue is is the weight. Uh, you can't get the weight perfect without too dumping. Light. Yeah, they're just way too light, and either they're too light or the tires are too you know. Uh, essentially, you have to buy brass everything, and and I've got some weights in mind. I've been messing with it and battery relocation, all that kind of fun stuff but I still can't just get the total weight of the vehicle to get it to work, you know, how I would like for it to. So I think if someone built, you know, maybe, you know, total, you know, 10, 10 bars in there of 124 scale scale of a full, you know, rod in there, I think you'd have enough weight to get it to work without having to add all the brass. Um, Cause I know Jordan, he uses aftermarket axles to help get some weight he uses brass extensions or wideners and a few other things. I think if you build the chassis not out of 3D printed material, um, I think that fixes it. And I think that you can run everything stock uh, and, and have a bigger tire because obviously you're going to get the body out of the way. Um, I think that that's the answer in my opinion, but I need someone to build one for me. And I, I've been <laughs> I've been trying to find someone to do it. And no one's no everyone's doing 3D printed because it's cheap and it's lightweight and you know if you break it you can just do it over again but i'm thinking right. that i'm thinking that you get some steel rod in there and this could be you could you could pretty much have it figured out you know well i'll have to get my hands on one i mean it'd be cool to make a little micro jhs moon buggy or something yeah, <laughs> dude that's whatever you come up with just let me know and i'll keep an yeah. eye on everything and when you get your hands on one just just keep me in the loop because uh 
I'm interested and I'm, it, it seems like there's, there's a huge market here. Uh, I actually have built a course at my house now, ever since after uh, talking to Jordan, uh, he has the COVID nationals. I'm calling mine the, the South, the Southern, uh, you know, COVID Southern nationals. So I've got a huge, it's, it's a huge dugout, you know, trench style race where they've got optional lines and, uh, you know, the, yeah. st the straight line has rocks in it and all this stuff. So I just built a little sand pit for them, uh, to add on to my rock garden. So, uh, before you know it, we'll have, we'll have a pretty decent course out here and, uh, I'm trying to get my buddies into it. So all that being said, I think that they're, they're, they're right there with one tenth scale and all that kind of fun stuff. And, um, I've even got a one tenth bouncer, which is really a lot of fun, high, super, super high KV, uh, you know, uh, just crazy amounts of just rip them up power. So that's really fun. But I, I, I would say I play with my 24th scale 10 times as much as I do anything else. Well, I would say definitely on the 124th, keep, keep some weight on those axles. That's really important. Yep. I think a little bit of weight up top might help though, just to make the suspension work a little more, but yep. I, I don't know. It'll have to, I'll have to see, you know, cause you don't want to be too top heavy and have yep. it tipping over all of it all the time. So. I would agree. I would agree. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I can definitely, I, I, I do want to get one. Uh, I, I haven't had a chance or anything like that, but eventually I do want to, uh, get one. And I'm sure once I get one, uh, that's when the, everything will start happening. Yeah, that's a fact. Well, in, in to, to close it out, uh, I haven't necessarily released it publicly, but, um, I think that, uh, super grip and I super grip ATV, my tire sponsor, um, I've got a set of tires in my car right now. They're doing great. Um, I'm supposed to be getting another set, uh, here before the end of the year. I think I'm going to be uh, giving those tires away. Uh, I have you know, super grips. Listen to this. Don't, you know, we haven't, we haven't had a formal discussion about it. So I think I'd like to take right. those tires that I'm going to get and I'm going to give them back out to everybody. Um, so we'll see how that all turns okay, out, cool. but dude, I, I did a giveaway a little while ago and I had something like 3,600 entries in it. So, um, you know, if I can do it again, that would be awesome. Uh, and, and also, yeah. you know, a free set of tires that are normally two grand or 1500, whatever they come out to at the end of the day. Uh, I'd be super stoked to give those away. I'm thinking about doing it around Thanksgiving or Christmas and uh, tie a few other things from sponsors in. So we'll see. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. That was kind of my last little comment there. Um, do you have anything that you want to talk about? We didn't, we didn't talk about or mention or anything like that. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that pretty much covers it all. I mean, uh, you know, other, I know a lot of people have seen me not being involved with UC Fab RC side as much. Uh, to those people, I would say, you know, we're not going anywhere. Um, we've got now that, you know, things are somewhat getting closer back to normal. We're going to be ramping things back up actually. Um, with my buddy Gene and some new stuff. I've got the Port Pellegrino cars. Gene's going to be doing the official licensed JHF moon buggies. Um, so, I mean, we still got lots going on on the RC side. Um, you just don't see a lot of it for me. Um, uh, so that's kind of why we have the group. So if you're not in the group, go ahead and ask for a join on there and you can get more RC content there. Certainly. But yeah, other than that, we're not going anywhere. We're still doing full size stuff and, uh, we'll be doing RC stuff for a long time too. Well, Kyle, let me tell you this, man. Uh, I'm going to have to get you back on the show again. Um, I'm so glad that we could make the schedule happen and all that stuff. 
you are for sure going to be a return guest. And I'm so excited about it because I know between now and whenever we choose to have our next episode, there's going to be a lot of stuff that you guys have working on. Um, so I'm stoked, man. I'm so stoked. And hopefully the next time we talk, we're talking about a pro XBR that's out and you've bought one and you, <laughs> right. you have it all, all the bells and whistles are done. So uh, with that, man, uh, any, anything else before we close it out? I think that's uh, pretty good. I appreciate you having me on. It's, it's been a good time. And yeah, I look forward to doing another episode. And, you know, we definitely have more stuff coming. Jesse Haynes has a two seat chassis coming out very, very soon. Um, so yeah, lots of good stuff coming. Well, cool. Uh, at an hour and 50 minutes, you're the longest podcast I've had in, in uh, quite a while. I think the only person that has <laughs> had, the only one that's got you beat is, uh, uh, Hubert Roland from Nitro Circus. We did three hours and 45 minutes. So, um, oh, wow. Well, I bet he's got a lot more to talk about than me. Dude. No, man. Well, he's, he's got some endurance. I'll say that. He, he has the endurance yeah. to talk. And, uh, we did it at his, his compound. He's, he's local to me. So I went out there and we just talked and oh, talked nice. and talked. But, uh, you definitely, you've got the, the, the silver podium position right now in terms of, of length. So, uh, super awesome. happy. Well, good time. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. Um, stay on the line with me. We're going to close it out. Uh, everyone listening to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed and all that kind of fun stuff. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Um, where can people find you on Facebook and Instagram and all the social medias? Uh, Facebook, you can find me at uh, Ultra Custom Fab. Uh, it's my business page and then also the group. Um, and then I also have a new page I started for my, my full-size stuff, uh, UC Fab Racing. Um, and then on Instagram, same thing, UC Fab Racing, and then uh, just at UC Fab for my main page. Okay. Well, Kyle, with that, uh, we're going to shut the recording off here and we'll hang out. Everybody who's joined us for the entirety of the episode, uh, thanks for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next time. Supergrip ATV tires are the primary sponsor of the show, and they're the most dependable tires in the ATV industry. The Supergrip ATV tire is designed to get you through the most extreme terrains. If you're looking for the ultimate control, whether on-road or off-road, the Supergrip ATV tire is the way to go. I run these tires on my car, uh, plan on doing some racing this year. Uh, they track really well, meaning they drive straight. I can steer very well with them. Their road manners are nice. Their trail manners are nice. I currently run them in a uh, standard compound, which is an excellent compound in my opinion. Um, they offer a softer compound, which is the intermediate. I do not have a set of those yet, but from what I have seen, they're very soft and I'm very excited to tell you guys. Um, I've been on the phone with Supergrip this week. They're going to be adding even more rubber into the sidewall just to make sure that their promise and their their name and the information they're putting out is going to be even more uh, foolproof, I guess is the right way to say that. So they're actually doubling production in the coming weeks, and as well as that, they're putting more rubber in those sidewalls to make them truly the toughest tire on the market. So supergripatv.com, supergripatv on Instagram and Facebook. Let them know Racing on the Rocks sent you. They are excellent people to deal with if you're a retailer. If you're not a retailer and you're just looking up, looking to pick up a set of tires, reach out to your favorite tire the tire retailer and see what they can get for you. I highly recommend working with all things UTV, but you'll hear about them in just a minute. 
Dinojet.com and Dinojet Research Inc. is also a sponsor of the show. Um, I see a lot of questions about clutching and things like that. I personally was never a fan of getting into the clutching if you didn't have to. It seemed like one of those areas in which once you got in, once you started making changes, I don't know if it was the clutches that were prone to break, but it was just an error, just an area where that you don't you don't really want to mess with if you don't have to. Um, all of that being said, and I'm sorry for just breathing on the microphone. I took a had a big lunch, you guys. Uh, but once I got in there, I put on the DinoJet Stage Two Power Kit. And uh, let me tell you, the PowerVision 3 tuner is an awesome tuner to have, but the adjustable system that the DinoJet clutch kits offer, where I can completely customize the clutch setting at my house anytime I need to, based on the tire uh, size that I want to run and the application of where I'm driving. I'm really glad to be able to tell you guys about that because that's a product that makes a huge difference and it's completely customizable and adjustable for the life of the product. DinoJet.com. Dinojet Research on Facebook and Instagram. Our next sponsor is Diddy's Big Block Race Shop. Let me tell you about Diddy's. Diddy's is a uh, shock tuning uh, shop. They're a uh, shock servicing shop. They're a turnkey build shop. They're, you know, if you're working on a full-size buggy or have any full-size related issues, they also work on those. Um in terms of wiring and things like that. But something for my UTV guys that I'm really excited to bring to you is that Chris, the owner of Diddy's Big Blog, me and him are actually going up to Blue Holler. Um, ooh, I should, maybe shouldn't have said that. Uh, we're going to Blue Holler sometime here in the next short weeks, and we're going to figure out how can we valve the car the best on the stock springs. And then we're going to build out a valve set from there. And then I'm actually talking to our next sponsor, All Things UTV, uh, about how can we build a valve set for their best, the best valve set using just their tenders, and then so on and so forth. So we're going to have a stage setup of valving setups and spring setups where we can say, hey, if you don't want to spend $1,200 on springs, you know, if you want to get your valving done, if you want to get all of these things done, but at a relatively low cost, the best way for you to do that is go with this package here. We're going to go get those packages figured out for you guys, and it's going to be awesome. Racing and trail riding applications will be available. Now, that piggybacks obviously off of all things UTV, excuse me, Diddy's Big Block on Facebook and Instagram. Excellent guys to deal with. Allthingsutv.com and all things UTV on Facebook and Instagram are also an excellent group of people to work with. The Razor Aid Tender Springs is what in particular uh, Chris and I had talked about using some tender upgrades and even a, a full set. All Things UTV even offers a full spring replacement kit with crossover rings to fill in the blank for you know the next level. So what the all what the Cloud9 kit is, it's a very reasonably priced kit that includes Oh, new uppers, new lowers, crossover rings, and it can convert your single-rate spring into a dual-rate system. You just have to let them know what year and model vehicle you have. Always paired with the Razor, or I'm sorry, the All Things UTV inner fender liners to keep your ride not only riding great, but feeling good as well. And who is next? Our friends at over at 
irate4x4.com. So th- this is the, one of the newer sponsors. Um, irate 4x4 launched just last May. And if you have any off-road history or anything like that, that you'll remember there is a, uh, I will say there was slash is a, uh, a, an off-road forum that used to be very popular. Um, a lot of those guys that have since moved from the old forum are now moving over to irate4x4.com. Unlike Facebook, unlike Instagram, it is a place where you can find someone's credentials, essentially. You can go look at their build, look at their posts, and make sure that the person that you're seeking advice from actually knows what they're talking about. And on top of that, it's a great place for you to go and be able to discuss anything you want. A truly uncensored place to, 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 to get answers, to do this and that. You're not going to be filled with the puking ads that you see all over other different forms where everything outside of the text that's written on, on the screen is an ad for this and that. It's simply amazing how a group of people just got up and left one site for another. The old site is no more and irate4x4.com has taken over. They're on the hunt for, uh, excuse me, uh, Irate 4x4 is an off-road community full of people with decades of off-road experience and knowledge to share. It can be a rough place for some, so they highly recommend coming in with a thick layer of skin and open mind to those advice. If you're doing something silly, you're going to get told you're silly, but I can promise you that there's no better place to find information for your full-size build, your after, you know, completely custom rock bouncer build, and even they have a uh, tow, towing vehicle section. Excuse me, I was going to say tow pigs, but uh, you know the, the towing vehicles and even the side by side. So everyone is included over at irate4x4.com. Really glad to have those guys on board. Last but not least is Infinite Off Road. Infinite Off Road is the oldest sponsor of the show and owned by a really great friend of mine, Mike Noggle. Uh, super dude, everything from light bars, light pods, whips, real wheel rings, and everything in between, you can count on it and you can find it at infiniteoffroad.com, Infinite Off Road on Facebook and Instagram. And they love the podcast so much that they give all listeners of the show 10% off with code word ROCKS, R O C K S, 10% off your entire order of light bars, light pods. Oh, did I mention that they're all covered by a 25-year you-break-it-they-fix-it warranty? No questions asked. Pretty amazing. Saw a car that was in a collision, broke the light bar, covered by warranty. InfiniteOffRoad.com.